It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We're back with the World Soccer Talk podcast, the only podcast on the planet that focuses on watching soccer on TV, online and apps. In episode 76, we feature a reminder to Fox Sports that this World Cup is bigger than the US men's national team, news about Amazon acquiring Premier League streaming rights in the UK, more NWSL games coming to ESPN, and how much of a MLS focus you can expect from Fox in the World Cup. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, um, so most listeners listening to this show will, will know that it's just uh, about a week or a little bit less than a week until the World Cup starts. Um, of course, the big talking point for many in the U.S. will be the vote uh, coming out uh, next Wednesday, June 13th to decide if it's going to be Morocco or North America hosting the 2026 World Cup. Uh, we'll get more into that later in the show, but I just want to get your initial thoughts on this one because it could end up overshadowing the World Cup, the launch of the World Cup, based on which way this vote goes. Yeah, it certainly could. I mean, I think that there's also a possibility that some nations are going to vote for none of the above and want a reopening to bidding, which I think might be a very prudent course because I, I don't. My, my personal opinion is I don't think either... Uh, bidding, uh, bidding nation or either bidding uh, uh, conglomerate, because there's three nations in, in the United States, although it is basically a U.S. bid, let's be honest about it. Uh, I don't think either has, has to me, proven um, the viability of their bids. And, and uh, Morocco, a lot of questions about the infrastructure around the, um, the, 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 the stadiums themselves. There's a lot of political questions about their um, continued medicine in Western Sahara, uh, which I think is going to affect some of the votes. And then with the United States, the United States is a country completely out of uh, compliance with FIFA statutes. FIFA, the governing body of this sport that hosts the World Cup, it's their event. I don't know why they would have a nation uh, that is out of compliance with multiple statutes of theirs. And a whose entire premise of hosting the World Cup is about making money. It's not about it's not about competition. It's not about a celebration of cultures, even though the U.S. is arguably the melting pot in the world. Easy about money. So if FIFA has a problem with its perception of being all about money, uh, I, I would vote none of the above if I were uh, representing a nation in this voting. 
Yeah, as we're recording this podcast, uh, the news has come out that uh, Hope Solo, in an interview with uh, Associated Press, has, uh, is recommending uh, that the, the FIFA Congress uh, do not vote for the U.S., Mexico, and Canada. So it's um, so with it, even within the U.S., uh, and I think some of our listeners um, will probably f- feel conflicted about, you mean, do, do we want the U.S. and Canada and Mexico to win this World Cup bid? What will this do for, for the game in the United States and, and, of course, North America? Do we want them to win that or do we want them to lose in order for change to happen? It's, it's a big debate, um, but we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. So that's just kind of a teaser for uh, later in the show. Now, Kartik, this past week, I think I've watched the least amount of soccer I've done in probably... A year, two years, three yeah. years. I, I, I watched one game. Actually, it was a half of a game. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I, I only watched um, Mexico against Scotland. I watched the first half of that, and then I switched it off. And and, and that's, I mean, not because I don't love soccer. You know, everyone knows I, I do. But partly I'm taking a break. Um, partly I'm trying to get all of the World Cup content ready for WorldSoccerTalk.com. And, but also, too... These games are meaningless, completely meaningless. Uh, the warm-up friendlies—they they have uh, I mean, no meaning other than giving players some some running time. You I mean just keeping fit? The manager, I mean the coach, just getting a better understanding of his squad and, and just trying a few different things. And also talking about money, Kartik, it's a way for these nations to make money with uh, some uh, high-profile friendlies before they go to Russia. And the match I watched, the, the half of it, was Mexico against Scotland and uh, sold out at the Azteca Stadium. So a massive uh, crowd, I think 80,000 approximately. Um, and it was supposed to be on FS1. So Fox had been promoting this, not not very heavily, but they, they promoted it at FS1 and switched on the game, and there was a baseball game on, and it ran long. <laughs> so I, yeah. the entire first half was missed. They might have missed the whole game. I, I have no idea because I mean, when the game started and it was baseball, I switched it over to uh, to Univision and watched the first half on, on Univision, and then I flipped back and watched a little bit, maybe like two or three minutes on FS2, and then flipped back to, to Univision. But, uh, but yeah, Mexico, I mean, you, you, can, you can't... You can't take anything from these friendlies. You know, I mean, it's it's almost like preseason friendlies uh, anywhere around the world, where a team is hot and then the league starts, and I mean, they they fall, they fail miserably, or vice versa. I mean, a team has a w- really weak uh, preseason, and once the league starts, then they, they play really well. But Germany going into the two six World Cup was a great example. The U.S. going into the U.S. has never played worse going into the World Cup that they qualified for uh, than the two thousand two World Cup, and that was the best World Cup. It's had in its modern history. Uh, these friendlies are meaningless. I don't watch them. <laughs> I'll be perfectly honest with you. I don't watch them. I don't pay attention to what's going on in them. I've learned from experience that they, they mean nothing. And uh, I give uh, Oscar Tavares, uh, the legendary coach of Uruguay, a lot of credit. They're playing one friendly. They're working on camp and developing a camaraderie amongst the unit that Uruguay is going to take to Russia. And they're, they're obviously, I think, one of the favorites potentially to win the World Cup. Um, this will be the last World Cup for Cavani and Suarez. But, uh, Chris, these, these friendlies are useless, and I think more and more managers are seeing it that way. Wales actually going into the Euros is a great example. Um, you're Wales. They played one friendly, and they got to the semifinals. They, they kept the team fresh. Chris Coleman worked on bringing the unit together rather than playing in these meaningless cash-grab-type matches, and um, Wales had a great tournament. 
So speaking of uh, cash grabs, uh, so Ireland against the United States. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what did you make of that one? I, I, I didn't see the game, so um, but what did you I think? Thought, I thought Taylor Coleman was really good. He was in. Uh, he, he's always in good form, but he was in really rare form uh, on Saturday. A lot of good points. Too many for me to uh, to to, uh, to to list here. But again, it tells us what we're missing. Um, just reminds us a little bit of that, what we're going to miss with the World Cup being on Fox and not on ESPN. He was, he was on it. He was like white on uh, white on rice. That's <laughs> used an American expression. Adrian Healy had a good match as well. Um, it was a, it was an interesting match. I mean, both both sides using uh, experimental squads. A lot of criti- criticism of Martin O'Neill and his tactics among Irish fans. Uh, I guess winning a match like this may get some of the, the pressure off of him. Uh, in terms of the U.S., it's not much you can take from it. I thought there were some nice performances. Way Miazga, uh, some some other guys uh, look look decent. Uh, and then uh, that, that, that's about it. And other than that, I've watched. Uh, hang on, Kartik. Hang on, Kartik. Yeah. We, we are missing the big news, which is that uh, the U.S. men's national team has announced a general manager. So a, essentially, <laughs> a director of yeah. football. So everything is going to change from here, Kartik. All all the issues are resolved. Um, and, and to me, I mean, this appointment is very much a, a yes man appointment. So I, I see Ernie as kind of being a person that, yeah, he's, he's got experience playing this game. Um, and I see him as kind of being kind of a guy that's going to be a yes man that's going to whatever Carlos Cordero and Dan Flynn wants, he's going, going to implement uh, and be the face of U.S. soccer and then, uh, probably between the three of them, then making a decision after the World Cup about um, uh, a manager, a full-time manager for for the squad. What, what's your take on it? Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. And I would say that in the first four months of Cordero being the president have, if anything, been worse than Sunil Gulati's tenure. Because at least Sunil Gulati had uh, some real knowledge of football. Now, he, of course, would allow his economic interests or the economic interests of Major League Soccer and Soccer United Marketing and of the Federation he would allow that to trump his soccer knowledge at times. But he, he was a person versed in the sport, and he would make some decisions occasionally that made a lot of sense based on sporting merit. Uh, not enough for my liking, not enough for the liking of a lot of critics of the U.S. Soccer Federation. Carlos Cordero is, is showing that he knows nothing about soccer and that his entire um, – I should say nothing about the playing side of soccer. He knows a lot about the business of soccer, uh, to his credit, but everything he's doing is based on that. And uh, – I, 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 we haven't brought this up on this podcast yet, but obviously we've interviewed him on the on this show, and um, I, I, I um, um, have a great deal of sympathy for his plight. Uh, Rocco Camiso, the owner of the New York Cosmos, makes an unprecedented offer, Chris, to fund lower division soccer in this country, fund player development, fund uh, professional soccer outside the cities which are controlled by where, where there are MLS clubs, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, U.S. Soccer can't, won't even arrange an honest, open meeting with him and the board of U.S. Soccer. That's how devious and deceptive they are at this point. It, it, it's incredible. Yeah, and everything is focused on the 2026 World Cup bid. So that, that's why we're going to talk about it a little bit later again. But that's why that is so meaningful, because um, if they lose that, then who knows what's going to happen. How can they be an independent arbiter of the sport if they're not even willing to sit down and talk to Camiso? And then you have this this litany of uh, people who, a lot of them are very, very objective and smart people when you take the um, economic welfare and interests of the U.S. Soccer Federation and Major League Soccer out of uh, the discussion. But when it comes to that, they just pile on Camiso with all sorts of 
uh, allegations and half-truths and um, impugning his motives, impugning his motivations, etc., cetera, uh, in order to defend U.S. software's incredulous decision to not even talk to him. Yeah, yeah, and at the end of the day, I mean, unfortunately, the way that U.S. Soccer, uh, U.S. Soccer Federation is run is it's a business. It's all focused on, on generating revenue rather than trying to improve the game from the grassroots to the Re- top revenue level. Revenue for themselves because what Camiso is proposing, what Rocco Camiso is proposing is putting an unprecedented amount of money in lower division soccer. Mm-hmm. Now, that should be in their economic interest if they're trying to grow the game, but they're trying to grow the game through the purview of their corporate partners, their sponsors, and their entity, which I will remind you is a nonprofit that is yet to release its audited financial statements for 2017. Wow. Okay. All right. We'll get into that a little bit more a little bit later. Another teaser there. Uh, Kartik, uh, Boca Raton, Miami FC? Yeah, I called this game along with uh, with Peter Brown, the former uh, uh, Miami Ultras president and uh, a host of Ultras Alive. Uh, it was a good game. Miami FC won 5 0 and uh, quite, quite enjoyed it. Uh, uh, Paul Daglish, who I have a lot of time for, one of my favorite people in the sport, obviously Kenny Daglish's son, is a manager who likes to play with the ball on the ground. Um, and that, and he stresses that philosophy with his, with his players every day in training and everywhere he's been, by the way, uh, much like his father. Uh, this game had a, a bad pitch. Uh, they were, in fact, putting sand on the pitch before the match. And Daglish uh, showed he had a plan B, played uh, long balls. Uh, the whole match, Miami FC was playing long balls into space and getting their, their superior athletes into space and, and won 5 nil. It taught me something, Chris, which I guess maybe I should have learned 20 years ago, which is even though we like to, to, to bemoan the long ball in the lower divisions in England, you know, on some of the pitches that aren't as great or in Scotland, there's a reason long ball gets played. It's not just simply, oh, route one, no athleticism, no style. There are sometimes circumstances based on pitch conditions or weather. It's also been raining. The pitch was bad because it's been raining in South Florida for about a month, as you and I both know. Mm-hmm. Um, forced Dag Leash to do something that he doesn't like to do. And quite quite honestly, he had resisted doing, even on some of the poor pitches Miami FC's played on to this point, because he is such an adherent to, to nice, slick passing football. But, um, it actually was a real lesson to me calling that game that, hey, sometimes it's weather and pitch conditions that dictate uh, your planning or you activating a plan B for a match. So um, I, I watched a couple of uh, games this week, but I threw that one in there, which, of course, I, I, I called uh, because I think that that was the important lesson for me personally. Yeah. Um... Just going back for a second to kind of what I've been watching this past week, I, there was one other thing I've been watching uh, just a little bit of is uh, a program called Destination Russia. Uh, it's airing nightly on Being Sports, and it's a really good kind of a preview uh, for this uh, for, for the World Cup. Um, at, the, at the same time, it's, 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 it's kind of strange in a way that Fox is not doing anything other than the Phenoms documentary, which is recommended, not the greatest, but it's worth watching. Um, but that's really not a World Cup preview, not, not going into kind of deep dive. I'm sure Fox will do that next week at some point. Uh, they haven't released any details on when that, that'll start. But, um, but I've enjoyed that. And anyway, anyway for, for listeners, uh, definitely check out uh, Destination Russia airing nightly in, in prime time on, on BN Sports. What about uh, ESPN FC, uh, Kartik? Any, any uh, World Cup coverage there? Yeah, a great World Cup coverage. It had uh, their... their uh, laundry list of uh of really good 
uh, analysts come on to the show at various times in the last week, whether it be Ian Dark or uh, Frank LaBeouf or uh, Rafa Honigstein, Sid Lowe, obviously Sid Lowe, a regular on that show, Mark Hadi, a regular on that show, uh, guys that are kind of outside experts, not really outside experts, but kind of contracted ESPN experts uh, come, up, come on the show. Uh, so it's been really good, but uh, unfortunately, uh, Sergio Ramos's comments continued fallout from uh, you know the Carrius concussion uh, from the UCL uh, the uh, UEFA Champions League final has uh, taken up a lot of time on the show. As has transfers, which I think, um, for better or for worse, we're in an era where so much of the World Cup and and Euros and and, and Copa America summer tournaments are. Um, so much of it is, okay, this player is in the shop window. They're going to have a really good World Cup or they're having a really good World Cup or Euro or whatever, Copa America. Um, they, uh, the big clubs in Europe are going to sign this guy. So uh, it's impossible if you're an overall soccer show, right? Not if you're a, just a World Cup-specific show that, that's, that's popping up every four years. But a soccer-specific show that's a daily show, 365 days a year like ESPN FC, to um, – to separate the World Cup from transfer stories. And, and I realize, hey, hey, it might be annoying to some people who say, well, I, I want to see how Fred does for Brazil. I don't care that he's going to Manchester United as well, mm-hmm. but you can't separate can't separate the two. Right. And, and that happens a lot. I mean, a lot of it yeah. is that um, there will be, anyway, which is nothing wrong with it, but there will be uh, spectators, so- soccer fans, viewing the World Cup through the eyes of a Manchester United fan and just kind of focusing on, on the individual players or, or the players that they're uh, hoping to sign or rumored to be signing. And, and, and that's their uh, viewpoint yeah. or perspective. The Leroy Sané mission this week by Germany, which I think, you know, look, uh, I like Julian Brandt. Actually, you and I have interviewed Julian Brandt uh, yeah. uh, personally, so uh, I kind of have a soft spot for him. But uh, I, there's been, among Manchester City fans, just this outrage about Germany dropping Sané when, if you look at the German squad, I love the, the city, my fellow City supporters are telling me who they would drop <laughs> to include Sané. Right. Yeah, I mean, so so much of this, I, again, I'm just being reminded, is being uh, viewed through a club, club lens. I know a lot of... Uh, uh, Liverpool fans who were who were fired up about Egypt because of Salah, and I completely understand that. And Senegal because of Mane. Yeah. By the way, Senegal might be uh, a team to watch in this World Cup. The more I talk to people, the more I'm thinking. Now, African countries, you, you never know, but I, I I think they might have. I have a sneaky feeling about that. Yeah. Yeah, which actually is a good point, though, to to add uh, for listeners, too. So we will continue doing this show throughout the entire World Cup. So if you're wondering, okay, the season's coming to an end. What, what are these guys going to be doing as the World Cup goes on? Are they taking a break? Uh, we'll be back on a weekly basis, as, as we are often. Um, the, we're looking at still to do Thursdays to release the podcast. And what we're going to do is talk about the coverage, talk about um, I mean, everything from the online side to the television to the apps, talking about our experience and uh, getting your feedback, the listeners, on uh, what you're seeing or questions that you have. Uh, and in many ways, too, this is going to be a really interesting World Cup because this is the very first time that we have streaming, legal streaming of World Cups. In the previous years, we had uh, would have had what, Watch ESPN app, uh, yeah. but there was no Sling TV, there was no Dish World, there was no all these uh, streaming, uh, YouTube TV, etc., so it's going to be a very interesting World Cup. Um, but anyway, anyway, just a note to remind us that uh, to, to listeners that we will be back on a, on a weekly basis, uh, and I'm looking forward to it because it's going to be an interesting take on on the, like the, the topics we're discussing right now. All right, Kartik, let's move on to uh, TV streaming news. 
Yeah, so ESPN, this was pretty big news this week, and uh, kudos to Dan Walletta and, and uh, Jonathan Danawalt, colleagues, uh, two people I think very highly of this business for getting this news. Uh, ESPN is going to air six NWSL games of the week this season on ESPN News. Those matches will be moved from Lifetime. The production will be the same. Uh, uh, the level of production for Lifetime is outstanding. And uh, uh, that's uh, big news for NWSL potentially. Uh, I know it's funny. You, everybody wants everything. I, I go and look at the uh, reaction to this on Twitter and on Reddit, and people are saying, oh, ESPN News. That, that, uh, I, I, it should be on regular ESPN or ESPN2. Baby steps. We're getting there right, with the women's game. But yeah. uh, I think this is a pretty big deal. I'm, I'm very happy about it. Yeah, I'm I'm probably in that that camp that's on the Reddit and, and Twitter only because I'm not sure if I even have ESPN News. I I think I have it. I, I have um, Sling TV, and I believe it's on there. I have the Sling Orange. I, I'm pretty sure it's on there. But that's that's the thing though too, Kartik, is that uh, I, I guess I mean not not just myself included, but a lot of listeners would have to actually look for it. Would have to actually actively go out there. Uh, to find those games versus having on a channel that they're they have on on in the background they're used to watching all, all the time anyway, um, but the, again that's the, where we're heading. I think uh, whether it's streaming, whether it's television, is it, it's becoming more niche in many ways. So depending on what leagues you follow, depending on what clubs uh, you you follow, um, you have to do the research ahead of time to figure out who's got what. All right, according to the BBC, Amazon will show 20 Premier League matches a season for three years from the 2019 season after winning one of the final two broadcast packages. The online streaming service has won the rights to show every game from the first round of midweek matches in December and all 10 matches on Boxing Day as part of the three-year deal. The matches will be available free to Amazon Prime's UK members. Uh, the other unsold package of 20 games was bought by BT Sport for £90 million. That makes the, their total number of games to 52 per season, season, while a further 112 will be shown by Sky Sports, including primetime Saturday night fixtures. So this is a big win for Amazon. Uh, it's a big win for soccer fans in the UK that have Prime, uh, so they can watch the games for free. It's uh, to me at the end of the, the, from from a US perspective, it has no difference. Um, the games will still be on NBC, uh, NBC Sports. Uh, that won't change. But what will change, perhaps, is whether Amazon will then, if if this goes well, whether Amazon will go ahead and and uh, try to bid for the next round of rights, which are up uh, what twenty twenty two, I think it is. Um, for the Premier League in the United States. Yeah, so, yeah. What's, what's your take on this, Kartik? Uh, it's a massive, massive development, something that I think a lot of us expected, uh, but still uh, we're waiting for confirmation for it to actually happen because it's a bridge that the league is crossing. Uh, first off, they haven't been uh, in the UK. They, they, they have not, never done uh, the rights outside of uh, what you would consider kind of mainstream television or satellite providers including Sky, including Satanta, including ESPN UK, BT recently, that succession of, of networks. Secondly, they're crossing the bridge into streaming and into a pay streaming service uh, to, to, to stream live matches. And, and um, thirdly, they're teaming up with, uh, in Amazon, a company that uh, has kind of an empire-building philosophy. So uh, I, I think it's a massive step. It's one that we talked about uh, on this show potentially happening before that uh, people I talked to in the business have been uh, speculating about for six months to a year, but it's still 
pretty newsworthy that it actually has happened because there was always some doubts in people's minds, like myself, and I, I guess you too, Chris, that whether the Prem would actually cross this bridge. Yeah, it, it is a huge moment. You're right, Kartik. And, and for those listeners who are wondering, so if this ever did come to the United States in the future and if Amazon signed up to, to acquire Premier League or other leagues, um, the way it would work is that, I mean, Amazon has uh, has apps, so you could download those apps to your your phone or to your Roku or whatever device you have uh, or go online. And um, as long as you're an Amazon Prime customer, member uh you could go ahead and actually watch those games so uh yeah it's it's a big it's a big milestone uh definitely for for the for soccer really um in terms of streaming and it's a big move so that'll be an interesting one to watch yeah uh, moving on 21st century fox can buy the rest of british broadcaster sky as long as it sells the sky news channel uk regulators have decided according to cnbc now remember when 21st century fox gets the rest of uh sky they're going to flip the channel and sell it on to either disney or comcast uh, those are the two big bidders for it uh, as part of uh as part of a larger deal with disney and potentially just the sky deal with with uh, comcast or it might be a larger deal with comcast also uh but uh, uh some clearance for 21st century fox and so expect some of the um um move some movement on that in the next uh, next few months all right, and then moving on to our last news item. If you're wondering what type of analysis we're going to get, uh, and kind of commentary and discussion during games of the World Cup uh, for John Strong and uh, whether there's going to be any discussion about Major League Soccer, uh, listen to this clip. You mentioned the MLS. Uh, a lot of players on either provisional rosters or on full squads. Do you think that just from a, a familiarity perspective and the fact that Fox has that connection to to Major League Soccer that you're going to want to hope for the, the best for those players you know out of, you know, out of the, the whole lot or is it still going to be about the superstars? No, I, I mean, yeah, you, you play the superstars but I 100% uh, without any apology I'm going to be overhyping the MLS guys. I, I don't care what anyone says. I'm going to be doing that. If Gustav Svensson gets on the field for Sweden, Germany... I'm going to go hard on Gustav Svensson, in part because we spent so much time with him. We've had wonderful conversations with him. Any of the MLS guys, I think it's awesome to, to see these guys get his opportunity. And 100%, you know, there's a deliberate attempt to have a lot of MLS games on the Fox network right after the day's World Cup is done. Um, you can better believe that, that if the MLS players perform well at this World Cup, a lot more are going to be coming afterwards. So, yeah, I mean... You call the game and you, and you take it where the game goes. If, if Svensson's on the bench, I'm not going to be telling big Gustav Svensson stories. But, like, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm proud of what I do with MLS. And, and the more that I can tie a thread for a sometimes skeptical public between the highest level of the sport and our league here in America, I'm absolutely going to do that. So that's uh, John Strong uh, in an interview with Blue City Radio. Now, Kartik... Um my take on this, uh, I want to get your take on this too, is uh, I'm, I'm okay with uh, John Strong talking about Major League Soccer players. But when he mentions, I'm, yeah, I'm going to be overhyping Major League Soccer players, 
uh, uh, that, that, that kind of disturbs me a little bit. I mean, that's the thing, though, too. I mean, you can, well, we've had experience, too. Any of the previous World Cups where uh, Ian Dark has been commentating on for ESPN, you know, you can guarantee that there's going to be a Premier League reference. There's going to be a discussion about this player, uh, a transfer rumor is, is supposedly heading to Sunderland or whatever it may be. And I'm okay with that as long as it's authentic and, and appropriate. Um, but by John Strong's stance, it sounds like he's deliberately be going in with a mindset of just overhyping major league, major league soccer and major league soccer players. What, what's your take? Um, yeah, I, I, I look. This is why I can't watch Fox. But <laughs> I'm just going to be honest with you. They are a propaganda arm for Soccer United marketing at this point. They're also based on all the Mexico uh, promotion they're doing. And uh, look. Uh, uh, Major League Soccer has made great strides, but there is this insecurity and defensiveness constantly among American soccer elites and American soccer analysts about the relevance of the league and about the relevance of the United States in the uh, in the global uh, conversation. Now, look, uh, MLS has made great strides. MLS as a league uh, has uh, a lot of quality to it. Uh, the United States, though, as a national team program on the men's side, has zero relevance globally. Mad- matters does not matter at all. Maybe the only only thing about them missing the World Cup is it might affect ticket sales a little bit for FIFA. But it, it, uh, no one misses the U.S. when it comes down to it being in the World Cup. They're irrelevant. So uh, there, that might make some of these people at Fox even more insecure that I've said that. Yeah, well, well, two things on that. So one is I, I think people do miss the U.S. I mean, from the last World Cup, the the, the um, I think the last World Cup, if you remember, especially from the U.K. press and the U.K. media, they were saying uh, just how... I guess um, how positive it was about the World Cup with the U.S. in it, that, that uh, it was kind of a drab World Cup in the beginning stages of that tournament. And the U.S. was one of those teams that seemed to be really fighting just 100 uh, percent, very emotional, very you could see what it meant to the U.S. team to to be doing well in that tournament and progressing through in, in those games and, and, and doing better than uh than, than other countries, such as England, as one example. I mean, that, that was a story that, that definitely was there. Um, the second thing, as far as the propaganda for some or, or for the U.S. Uh, Soccer Federation, we've talked about that kind of around the outskirts in previous episodes throughout the last, like, what, year, year and a half. Because a lot of the coverage that Fox has given us um, has been from, from people like Grant Wall, uh, kind of been fed stories that are very favorable towards whether it's Sunil Gulati or U.S. soccer. Um, it is very much a kind of a uh, kind of a, a bubble, and the bubble is that you have Fox, Major League Soccer, and the U.S. Soccer Federation, and they're thinking of it from a business perspective, thinking, okay, what's best for uh, the business side of of those three entities. Um, rather than what's best for soccer as a whole in this country. So you have reporters, um, Sports Illustrated reporters working for Fox, uh, Sports Illustrated reporters that uh, have a content relationship with Fox. I mean, the actual companies, Sports Illustrated and Fox, have a content partnership together, uh, basically giving a positive story about the U.S. men's national team and, and about U.S. soccer and about these candidates that are running and really not focusing hardly any time on, on the other leagues that are beneath that, or not, not, not just the leagues, but all of the, uh, soccer. There's a lot more to U.S. soccer than just Major League Soccer. Um, so I, I get you there, Kartik. I, I definitely uh, understand what you're saying. Um, 
which again is another teaser for our topic of the week, which which we'll get to in, in a little bit. All right, let's move on to uh, TV ratings. And uh, just to follow up from last week, so we talked about last week, and it was 2 million viewers on Fox for the final, uh, for their last UEFA Champions League match that's going to be on Fox. And uh, big numbers, that was a huge number for them. Uh, we found out uh, this week on worldsoccertalk.com that uh, ESPN Deporters had over a million viewers for the Spanish language broadcast of that game. So all in all, over 3 million viewers for the UEFA Champions League final, which was incredible. And uh, next season, it's uh, ESPN Deporters will no longer be having the Spanish rights to that. That's going over to Univision. So those numbers should be even greater. And then you've got the uh, Fox moving over to Turner Sports for the UEFA Champions League and the potential perhaps of those being some strong numbers too with uh, TNT and TBS and some other of those Turner cha- channels. Um, some of the other numbers that came out this week, not a lot to report, but the Ireland-USA game that we mentioned before, this was on ESPN2 last Saturday, uh, 453,000 viewers. And then the match that, that followed it, it was a double header, was Portland against LA Galaxy, uh, also on ESPN2. That one had 272,000 viewers. And the trend, Kartik, continues. So what we're seeing is usually when there's a double header, which... Uh, Again, it's um, U.S. soccer, Major League Soccer working together uh, to really kind of put MLS on, on a pedestal on, on these uh, national TV broadcasters is that MLS games usually get about half of the audience of the previous game. So when we've had the, um, the Champions League final, they had on, on regular Fox. Actually, it wasn't, it wasn't even that. It was, it was two million regular Fox. And then we had a, a game on Major League Soccer, I think, that day too. There was less than half a million, so there's more, uh, more significant of, of a drop. But the trend usually con- continues. About half of the audience will stick around to watch the Major League Soccer game right after that. We'll, we'll be interesting to see what happens in the World Cup when you have these these games where you have the World Cup final, and then right after that is is I think it's Atlanta Atlanta United playing that day. We'll have to wait and see. Last but not least, uh, just a couple of more numbers. Um, England against Nigeria, the friendly that was on Fox to Portes, uh, 113,000 viewers. And then Ireland against United States on Univision, that one had 104,000 viewers. Now, Kartik, let's get into our listener mailbag. We've got a lot of feedback from this past week. The first one is from Ryan Hawkins. Uh, he sent this in through email. He says, uh, great show, Chris and Kartik. I have noticed that of the large... Of the large legacy networks in the United States, CBS Sports is not involved in soccer rights package, nor has been for decades. Is there a reason for that? Is Turner's recent acquisition uh, their gateway into the sport, given their NCAA basketball partnership? All right, Kartik, this is all you. Yeah, CBS Sports did cover the NESL for a season. I actually broadcast uh, a game or two for them uh, during that season that they covered the NESL. Is their partnership with Turner a way in? I don't know because I'm not sure that they um, uh, that the ratings will be high enough for CBS to get interested in uh, in Champions League. Uh, and as we've seen with NCAA, as you mentioned, there's that partnership. More and more of the games have been, including some Final Fours and Finals, have been on uh, Turner Networks, on TBS or TNT, TBS mostly. Uh, so uh, it probably won't be. Why they haven't shown any interest, that's any anyone's guess. Uh, it's disappointing, but um, they just haven't had any interest in soccer since 
really since the old NASL, which uh, they were the broadcast partner for a number of years. Yeah, it's uh, again, I'm not the the norm on this one, but Kartik, I can't even re- remember the last time I watched CBS. Um, and, and to me, like CBS doesn't exist because <laughs> you mean I'm watching ch- soccer on you know, Fox, ESPN, and and BN Sports, and all these other channels, NBC Sports, and etc. Um, so to me, it, it's it's a big point because I mean when you th- when you think about it in terms of you look at the demographics, you look at the, the survey data, the number two sport among males in the United States um, that there are kind of uh, teens from teens to to thirty four, I think it is actually no no it's teens from like twelve to like twenty one, number two sport in this country is soccer, and for CBS not to be involved in in, in anything of that, it's. Uh, it's embarrassing. They're losing out of a huge demographic there that will continue to grow and get older and watch more and more soccer as as they get older and older. And um, CBS isn't there for them. They're probably not watching much CBS uh, like I am. Yeah, and I think uh, you mentioned that, that uh, it's a, the demographics. International sports in general, CBS hasn't been broadcasting. Uh, they don't have the U.S. Open tennis anymore. They had that for years. Uh, they had some other tennis tournaments, uh, some WTA events. They had uh, uh, the, the Miami Open, what, what we call the Miami Open now. It's called, uh, it was had various sponsors in the days, but they had that for a number of years. So outside of the Masters um, and the PGA Championship, uh, they're really not attracting international viewers. They don't have much auto racing. Uh, Formula One, something like that would, would, would maybe stimulate uh, interest in their network among millennials who are interested not only in soccer, soccer is the number one sport for them, but international sports in general. Um, it, uh, when I say millennials, soccer being the number one sports, I'm talking about the uh, millennials who are kind of geared towards international sports. Uh, NBC, on the other hand, has tried to build a portfolio of those sports between the Premier League, between Formula One, between rugby, and um, some of the other things that they show on a regular basis. So I think it's just a difference in corporate philosophy between uh, Universal and um, CBS. All right, moving on. The next uh, gentleman, uh, John, uh, Average Geek on Twitter, has two questions. The first one uh, I'll let you answer, Kartik, and the second one I'll take. The first question is, uh, do you think uh, Liga Mekis not having a unified rights package hinders its growth? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, because the, the way it's set up currently is that uh, each of the, 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 the TV deals is uh, by, on a club-by-club basis. Yeah. So you have Chivas, you have Club America, you have even uh, Toluca, Monterey, etc., uh, each doing their own deals, So, um, which uh, we've seen from the Premier League. I think that's one of the reasons the Premier League is so successful on television worldwide is that it has one one TV package. You mean well. One. You mean it's all the clubs are working together on those on those deals. It's not uh, each individual club. Um, but yeah, good question there. Um, next question from John is: Is ESPN sending Taylor Twelman to France to call the friendly uh, this weekend with Ian Dark? If so, explain why Fox can't have all World Cup commentators in Russia. Weird, he says. Um, well, first of all, I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know if you know Kartik, but I'm not sure if uh, Taylor Swellman is going to France to be uh, co-commenting uh, this game with Ian Dark. I wouldn't be surprised if he is, though. I mean, I can see that happening. I can see that uh, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Taylor ends up in Russia. I mean, kind of on his way to, to Russia to do some analysis for ESPN from uh, for ESPN FC. Uh, from the World Cup, and, and this is a gr- great way for him to, you I mean, along the way, go to France this weekend to um, 
co-commentate the game and, and then head on over to Russia to provide his analysis uh, for ESPN FC. Uh, explain why Fox can't have it have all World Cup commentators in, in Russia. Now the, the, they've had so much spin on this um, from David O'Neill, their executive producer for the World Cup. It comes down to money. It comes down to budget. It comes down to they overspent on their set, uh, which is a multi-million dollar set, um, which looks beautiful. But they've invested so much of their money in this set um, before they knew that the U.S. was not going to make it to the World Cup. And then by that point, it was too late. Um, so a lot of their, their budgeting is a really poor budgeting. They did not budget. Um, when, they, when, when their budgets were cut, they had to make custom corners. And, and that's why uh, Fox is not having all of their World Cup commentators in Russia. Next up is uh, Crisco NGS on Twitter. And he says... Uh, That'd be Northern Guard, by the way. Uh, ah, okay. City. Okay, all right. Uh, he says that, listen to your most recent podcast and your mention of Dortmund versus LAFC underperforming in viewership compared, uh, compelled me to share how well, in a scaled comparison, the Detroit City FC against uh, FC St. Pauli match was viewed, which was watched by 13,000 viewers on Fox Sports Detroit. Now... From memory, the Dortmund LAFC game, I think, had like 52,000 viewers on, on Univision Deportes, uh, which usually, you put anything on Univision Deportes, it gets big numbers. Uh, but in comparison, on that major network compared to then Fox Sports Detroit, which is a regional network, 13,000 viewers for that game, that's incredible. Yeah, uh, everything Detroit City does is incredible. Uh, a club that has uh, accomplished all they can accomplish in this closed system in the United States. I have so much respect for the Northern Guard and, and everybody associated with that club. Um, and that's why I have some Detroit City swag myself, <laughs> um, which is, I think, a popular thing among soccer supporters in this country. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that match against FC St. Pauli, which also, you know, like-minded club, like-minded uh, uh, philosophies, uh, which to, to me was very neat. Uh, was a very, very big event among uh, uh, the soccer uh, supporters, soccer underground, if you want to call them, in this country. So, uh, yeah, scaled-wise, that did much better than this LAFC Borussia Dortmund game between two. Um, and, and just people weren't interested in Right. Okay, next up is uh, Robert Cordova. Uh, he sent this in through Facebook. It's actually got two parts. The first part is, I uh, don't know if you listen to the Herc and Max podcast show, uh, they talked about the World Cup shows during the during the tournament. With ESPN sending Hercules Gomez and Sebastian Salazar to Russia and not having the TV rights, it got me thinking uh, what happens in England when one network doesn't have the TV rights. So, so on that, though, too, so what happens in England is that um, they share it. So, for example, for this World Cup uh, 2018, uh, it's shared between BBC and ITV. So BBC takes half of the games, ITV takes ha- the other half of the games, and then the final, they both share it. They both they both show it. Um, so you've got approximately, I think, uh, one of the broadcasters has 33 games. I think the other one has 34 games or, or some, something like that. Um, so it's it's never one network having it and the other network not having it. Uh, he also says... Um, Robert says, uh, don't know if you've heard of the final score on BT Sports, which airs when Sky Sports airs a game and vice versa. It's a show where they have pundits like Michael Owen, Robbie Savage, and Tim Sherwood, where they do live reactions uh, as the game plays on. If ESPN did something like this with a soccer crew, could the format work and get some amount of ratings? 
or does that format just work overseas? Uh, hope to hear yours and Kartik's thoughts. I know it's been a hard soccer year, soccer-wise, with your Swansea going down and Wales not going to Russia. Hope they do better next year. Kartik, what do you think about this? Yeah, I think that format might work, but I, I guess there are opportunity costs because ESPN is probably showing other programming, uh, uh, live programming that might get better ratings here in the U.S. But I, I think that format might work. I think there were people like me that would probably just watch the ESPN uh, coverage uh, and, and, and get get reaction uh, from them. And yes, that is a format that has worked in the UK. And it's uh, it, it's something that um, the BBC has also done at times, actually, uh, without uh, they have shoulder Premier League rights. Right. But they don't have uh, rights to the league itself. But having programs uh, airing during a Premier League game on Sky or BT or back in the day, ESPN or Satanta, that where they had their analysts uh, kind of plug in and, 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 and give some thoughts. So uh, it is a for and it's something that TalkSport does uh, successfully on the uh, on uh, radio. So mm-hmm. I, 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 something that would intrigue me, actually. I think it would be kind of neat if ESPN did it. I just think that they probably feel like they have um, other live programming and other sports that will generate numbers at that time yeah plus plus i think it's a it's a cultural thing too so uh, sky sports soccer saturday which is their show that they have on uh from 3 p.m uh british time to about 5 p.m british time and what they do is have a, a show that's reacting to uh the goals going in around the country there's no tv footage of of the uh, the goals going in all it is is a panel of analysts on the set and scores coming in from Peterborough from from Leeds United from Manchester United as the goals go in they're given their their reaction now they're watching those individual analysts are watching their own um, TV monitors that you can't see so they they're seeing what's happening at the different grounds or or via updates um, but you the viewer cannot see that so to me it's it's, it's a it's a cultural thing uh, in the UK it's it's pretty normal uh, and that's done because. They're not allowed to, in the UK. They're not allowed to show any TV, any soccer games on between the three to five PM uh, British time. No matter if it's from La Liga or from UK or anywhere in the world uh, during the club season. So um, yeah, I think it's more of a cultural thing. That, at least that's that's my take on it. So you can, uh, listeners, you can always reach out uh, to us uh, via email if you have any questions, feedback, comments, uh, you name it, or if you want advice uh, through web at worldsoccertalk.com, as well as on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. We're on Twitter, at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can post comments on our website, worldsoccertalk.com. Now, Kartik, uh, last but not least, I want to talk about the main topic of the show, uh, which is that the World Cup is bigger than the USA team. Now, on Wednesday, June 13th, the FIFA Congress will convene with each member nation voting on whether Morocco or North America will host the 2026 World Cup. It's a huge decision that for us in the United States will overshadow the first few days of the World Cup. Whether North America wins or loses the vote, I can picture Fox Sports spending a lot of time, uh, depending which way the vote goes, giving their analysis and theorizing what could have happened, what should have happened, or why the U.S. is perfectly positioned to be part of the host country. But let's hope that they don't dwell on that for too long, because the reason that sports fans around the United States are going to be tuning in to watch the World Cup is because of the World Cup, not because of the U.S. men's national team. This World Cup is going to be the perfect litmus test 
to show us how popular popular the sport of soccer is in the United States without the U.S. team in it. Sure, the viewing numbers won't be as great uh, because the U.S. team isn't involved, but Fox has done, a, to me, what I think, a lousy job of promoting the tournament. Um, but soccer fans in the U.S. need to realize that the World Cup is bigger than the U.S. men's national team. Let's hope that Fox remembers that in the hours and hours of talk shows that they're going to have every day during the World Cup. The Fox analysts will be jonesing to bring up the topic of the U.S. men's national team, even though they're not involved. I can guarantee that. So let's hope that Fox focuses on the World Cup and not on bringing up the U.S. men's national team into every conversation. Now, Kartik, uh, there was a, a Twitter kind of uh, discussion uh, actually yesterday, Wednesday, that I want to read out to you. This is a quote from uh, Fox Sports uh, lead analyst for the World Cup, uh, Alexi Lalas. He says, show me a country whose soccer infrastructure, supporters culture, professional leagues, media, global relevancy, domestic relevancy, youth development, women's game, men's game, marketing, sponsorship, and television has grown more in the last 30, 30 years than the USA. Now, I can guarantee Kartik that he's going to bring this up uh, on one of the shows given the opportunity probably next week uh, we're talking about the the votes for the 2026 world cup but that that conversation that topic that uh that thinking will come up what are your thoughts on that yeah yeah i mean and i think part of this is the uh la uh based fox crew having uh being you know continuing to have their people who are based in la calling games off monitors essentially embedded in this vacuum this circle this very isolated circle of U.S. soccer um, apologists and U.S. soccer obsessed um, uh, talk, because that, that that's what's happening in the United States in soccer circles, right? And in the kind of MLS, well, it's, a bubble, uh, US, it's a bubble. Yeah, U.S. soccer bubble was the word I was looking for. Thank you. I don't know why that very basic word escaped me, but um, yeah, this U.S. soccer bubble. So I, I think maybe keeping. Some of the uh, commentators in L.A. was strategic, so they continue to be having those conversations. And those people don't interact with the folks like me who um, are uh, on the reform side of this and who, who uh, converse with the likes of the Rocco Camisos of the world who uh, have some genuinely interesting ideas of how to reform U.S. I'm not saying Camiso has all the answers, but again, as I mentioned earlier in the show, U.S. soccer won't even sit down with him. They won't even talk with him. So I don't know how... Um, um, we, we move forward. Yeah, so this bubble will, will, will allow us, allow Fox to continue to, to, to push U.S. Uh, soccer-oriented uh, and um, provoked, I will use that word, because I think that there's some definite collusion going on, narratives. Um, and um, that is part of the reason why they're so hot to trot to push Mexico uh, as a national team, because Mexico... There's an economic interest with soccer United marketing and you, and uh, the U.S. soccer community in Mexico being successful and Mexico doing well. And that's why Mexico is a, is uh, the team they're pushing very aggressively on Fox. So, uh, in my opinion, I mean now they, they they have market data that talks about demographics and interest in in, in these uh, in the Mexican national team. I get that, but they've used I think that market data to kind of mask their agenda or justify their agenda. Uh, I um, I'm just uh, well. Uh, let me answer that. Well, 
Well, let, let, let me just add to that too, because I mean, this is the first time that we've uh, not had the, uh, the U.S. In a, in a World Cup since what eighty six. So this is the first time we, we're actually being able to look at the situation because uh, usually it's U.S. and Mexico are usually in the World Cup together. This is the first time we're actually being able to kind of analyze what's going on in terms of Soccer United marketing. With Soccer United marketing has the rights to, you I mean, promote the the Mexican national team in the United States as well as, of course, the U.S. men's national team. But with, the, with Mexico in the tournament and the U.S. not in it, it's now more clear than ever in terms of how hard Soccer United marketing is pushing the Mexican national team. Oh, I, I, perhaps if uh, some had not been so uh, tied to the Mexican Federation, maybe the U.S. would have uh, took, taken their foot off the gas in Panama a few years ago. I, I'm just throwing that out there. I'm not saying that that's definitely the case, but uh, it makes me wonder. Uh, continue. Yeah, I, I don't agree with you there, but but there is a lot of things that come up. It's more from the business point of view in terms of how how everyone's. I mean, there, there was a um, an event this week on Wednesday uh, with Alexi Lalas, uh, Dwayne De, uh, De Rosario, and uh, Luis Hernandez uh, in Los Angeles uh, as part of a uh, a beer company, and it was an event to go ahead and encourage uh, fans of the U.S. men's national team to support Mexico to basically for one month to go ahead and kind of drop your U.S. scarves and support Mexico. Now, we've seen this, plus we've seen Sports Illustrated going in heavy and deep with Mexico, plus we've seen Fox going in and talking about how we, we should be supporting and getting behind Mexico. And to me, to me, this comes back to Soccer United Marketing. That, that's really, that's exactly the narrative they want us to be pushing. Similar, was there a similar event in Amsterdam uh, sponsored by Heineken? Uh, Promoting, uh, 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 trying to push Dutch fans to support Germany. <laughs> yeah, there'd be riots. There'd be riots. <laughs> in the the Italy. Uh, there's a there's a, a event sponsored by, uh, uh, by by whomever there um, uh, promoting uh, uh, Spain. Right, right. Let's support Spain. Right. So Alexi Lawless claimed not long ago that the U.S. Mexico was the biggest rivalry in international football, which was just absurd to begin with. Right. You know, I, the two I mentioned, Germany. Germany, Netherlands, uh, Italy, Spain, much bigger. And then there's also Argentina. You may have heard of that one. Mm -hmm. um, but um, it, it was just absurd on the But now, because of all of this and the economic interests we're talking about, there's this about face that you should support them. I mean, I, I, I will not – I cannot tell you when uh, – and it's funny because Germany then did the same thing to Brazil four years later. But the number of Brazilian uh, fans and Brazilians I worked with in 2010 who were uh, – who were – ecstatic about Germany crushing Argentina and who um, were Germany fans for the day, even though Brazil had just been eliminated by the Netherlands the previous day um, in, in that World Cup. Uh, these rivalries are real rivalries. Um, the U.S.-Mexico rivalry, which I've always felt has been a bit manufactured, to be honest with you. I know a lot of U.S. men's national team fans get angry at me when I say that. I've been saying that for years. But I felt it was a manufactured marketing rivalry, that there's not really a rivalry. Um, between, I mean, there is a rivalry, but it's it's, but you know, it's not a minor intense, right? Yeah, um, but now, to me, I think I, I've been proven correct. There's not really a rivalry between these countries. Maybe between some of the fans, but um, it's just it's just absurd. And the thing that I keep coming back to, Chris, is that in the eight months or nine months, however long it's been since since uh, October 10th, there is this continued self justification. Uh, by U.S. soccer elites, this 
insecurity that they continue to, to uh, present, which they did before they, the, the elimination from the 2018 World Cup, which then masks itself in these absurd comments from people like Lawless saying that the U.S. is you know, done this and that. And, and the other thing, there's, check out my Twitter timeline. I, I had a pop at him on Wednesday night, and a lot of people have retweeted or like that, or a lot of people have argued with me. But um, it's just crazy. There is this insecurity. Um, Craig Burley talks about this all the time on ESPN FC. He gets people angry, but this insecurity and this, quite frankly, paranoia among American soccer elites. And Burley talks about that often as well, that they're they're they're. Uh, frightened to actually have the conversation, so they have to they have to you know really kind of overstate their 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 relevance in global football and the and the importance of U.S. soccer. Which I will finish on this once again. I think, and this is a very controversial opinion of mine, and I have not backed off of it. I think the media, U.S. soccer covering media had a role in the U.S. not making the World Cup because they have created such a bubble and such an insularity and such a. Um, uh, and there are exceptions. I think guys like Jeff Carlisle and Doug McIntyre are fantastic, and they're great critical writers. But there are other people who cover the U.S. men's national team who are not, who create this context of this team being an all-conquering, much uh, more stronger, much more successful side, which much more uh, successful players at the club level than they really are, which created this false sense of security and this illusion of uh, um, this delusion, I should say, of, of, of grandeur. And the U.S. flopped. And I think the media had its part in that. Yeah. And I think, I mean, some of the things that Lana says are correct. So in terms of the last 30 years that um, the game has grown in the United States, but there's no, there's, no, there's no doubt about that. But some of the things like domestic relevancy uh, in the last 30 years, it, actually, you could probably go back to some of the NESL. MLS is, ir- MLS is irrelevant. I, the, check out our article on World Soccer Talk last week. It, it has very little... The, the article I wrote, it has very little relevance in the domestic sports market. Almost none. Well, well I was going to go, go back to saying in terms of um, NASL, you look at some of the the crowds at, at those stadiums, those were in the Cosmos games, sold out crowds, um, large TV viewing numbers. But compared to where we are today, which is that um, out of all the, the TV soccer viewing in the United States, Major League Soccer represents 6% of that. So most of the soccer people that are watching the sport in this country are watching everything from League MX mostly to Premier League to Bundesliga to all all these other leagues. Uh, Major League Soccer represents 6%. But domestic relevancy, so if, again, they're inside the bubble, they're in L.A., you've got two teams in L.A., they're, you know, in... Uh, in the studio talking to to their friends, their buddies about about how great Major League Soccer is, uh, and I, I want to see the league grow. But you mean there's the rest of us throughout the entire country that really are not watching it that but closely. There are probably more Real Madrid fans in LA than Galaxy fans. Oh, for sure. Seriously, for sure. seriously. So again, they're in a bubble because even if they step out that bu- outside that bubble to other soccer fans, they realize they're more Real Madrid, more Liverpool, you know, maybe more Manchester United and Barcelona also in LA than than Galaxy fans. Now, LAFC is in their first year; they're doing great. But you can't judge necessarily uh, first year teams because, as I, I talk about in the article, I just referenced on World Soccer Talk, you have this succession of teams uh, in. MLS and lower division soccer that are the flavors of the month or the flavors of the year that come out with a big bang within uh, a couple of years, uh, interest subsides, passion subsides, and then eventually, like the Columbus Crew, which was the shining star of American professional soccer at one time, those clubs are uh, 
uh, are, are subject to relocation. Or like the Rochester Rhinos, they go out of business. Or like the Charleston Battery, they begin to struggle. So, um, you know, so many soccer fans and MLS fans in particular, Chris, are new to the sport, and they haven't been through these cycles, including with the U.S. national team. The U.S. national team, we're getting all this hype about these young players. Oh, this one's a world beater. This one's great. This is the best class of young American players we've ever had. No, it's not. Okay, and we've gone through this. We go through this every five to ten years where um, you look at a list of, of, of players. Frankie Simek is at, at, at Arsenal's youth program. Uh, Zach Whitbread's at Liverpool's youth program. Uh, John Thornton's in Manchester United's youth program, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And we get all uh, we get all excited and say, oh, this is this generation is going to be great. And a lot of those players flop. Um, and again, we're doing that. So out of our insecurity. We're turning around and we're overhyping young players. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I feel bad for those guys because there's a lot of pressure on them. And then five years from now, people will be saying, oh, that guy was a bum. Like the, some, of, some of the things that people now say about Juan Agadello, who's a really good player, in my opinion, really good MLS player, um, that people say, ah, he never fulfilled his potential, blah, 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 blah. Breck Shea, same thing. So we have this vicious cycle we cannot get out of. We cannot be honest with ourselves. We cannot be realistic with ourselves. And a big part of the problem is Fox and the propaganda driven by, I believe, Soccer United Marketing and Soccer House in Chicago. And you know what? People might say, oh, this is terrible what you're saying. This is this is radical. This is, a, you know, you're a hater. No, we, we just we missed the World Cup. <laughs> right. I, I don't know what, what, what else can provoke. We had a league in the last 12 months because of political reasons. We have clubs going out of business left and right. We have the, uh, a classic, one of the few classic MLS clubs about to relocate. I don't, I don't understand why we can't have these conversations and be honest with ourselves for a change. And, and that's the thing I took to, Kartik, that that's a great point, is imagine if ESPN still had the rights to this World Cup and this was their final World Cup and they had Taylor Twellman on, on the set. I mean, people would be tuning in to go, okay, what's he going to say? What, what, what's his, his kind of... Uh, not as hot take, but really kind of deep analysis is the current situation that the U.S. men's national team is in. It's incredible to think. I mean, in terms of the last six months after the U.S. crashed out of the World Cup qualifying, can we remember anything that the Fox analyst said that was coherent, that was uh, insightful? We all remembered what Taylor Twelman said. And, and that's what this World Cup is missing, is that honesty, is that being realistic and giving that honest feedback and saying, okay, you mean... The U.S. is in this situation because of X, Y, and Z. Not this whole uh, show me a country whose soccer infrastructure, supporters, clubs, culture, professional leagues, media, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, has grown more in the last 30 years than USA. And that's the thing that I'm hoping for for this World Cup is that, yes, there's going to need to be that conversation that happens on air. Uh, Fox is going to have that conversation, I'm sure, in the first couple of days about, you mean, the U.S. is out. What can we do better or different to make sure that we don't miss out on the next World Cup? That conversation needs to happen, and it will happen, I'm sure. Um, But throughout the entire World Cup, then we need to move on. The World Cup is bigger than the U.S. team. Uh, There will be things that we see that go, there'll be some countries that will come come out of the woodwork and go like, wow, look at this team. Why, Why can't we be like this team that's, you mean, positive, attacking, that has a... Uh, a well, really good, well, good formula. But that's, part, but that's part of the problem also. Okay? In, in, in defense of U.S. soccer's failures, Chris, this obsession, but U.S. Soccer Federation now has codified in writing that they want to do this. Uh, and Ernie Stewart's uh, hiring in his initial press conference, again, reinforced this. The U.S. has become so obsessed with style and saying, oh, we should play positive attacking soccer. 
you know what? The U.S. was more effective as a team that bunkered and counterattacked uh, using right. the patience and the athleticism we have. Let's just be honest about right. it. Right. Okay? Let's again be realistic. Let's be honest with ourselves. We are not good enough to compete and keep the ball the way the Dutch do or the Germans do or, 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 the, or the Brazilians do. There's nothing wrong with being Uruguay, being physical and then countering. And, of course, they have Cavani and Suarez up front, so that, that kind of helps. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with being like them with two strong center backs. Of course, they have two center backs playing for Atlético Madrid. We don't have that. But you know what I mean. Again, we have to be honest with ourselves. I read the U.S. Soccer Annual Report. They talk about style, and we need to have a distinctive style of play, and that's what the general manager is going to focus on. That's what the technical committee is going to focus on. No, we don't. Let's just make the best of our personnel, uh, which is part of the reason why it was such a mistake to hire Jurgen Klinsmann. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole again. Um, I, I, I do make common cause with the MLS apologists on Klinsmann. I think he was a terrible hire. I think he was the wrong guy. It was all about style and uh over substance, he had didn't have the tactical downs to do the job with a limited uh, a talent pool that was limited technically. But that's the point. We're never honest with ourselves, and I don't think the conversations on Fox in the initial days of the World Cup are going to be any more um, introspective or honest based on the tweets we see from Lawless and the rhetoric we see from right. um, people. Now, again, they made the decision not to have Eric Winalda at the World Cup. They made the decision to freeze him out. They made the decision not to take other um, people in U.S. soccer that ha- are that do games for them that are more critical, uh, that are more introspective, guys like like Dunny, Brian Dunseth, and others, So uh, and Keith Costigan. So I, um, yeah. I, yeah, I, I think. think uh, it, uh, I'm just, I, I think it's not going to go well if you want some real analysis of this. Yeah, Fox is looking at this World Cup as being entertainment. So they're not looking for deep dive analysis. Um, I think probably in their minds, one, it doesn't help help them from a business perspective. Two, it's it goes against the narrative of what they're trying to push. And uh, and and three, I think they probably think that it's not going to um, keep people watching. People want to watch, be entertained. They want Fernando Fiore cracking jokes and wearing silly silly hats and having certain things, you know, on the set kind of flags and all th- sorts of sorts of types of different, different things. Um, but to me, I mean, that's the thing about when we when the U.S. got knocked out of this World Cup from the qualifying, we said actually now maybe. Now there's 32 teams in, in this tournament. U.S. is not in it. That's probably in some ways the best thing that could have happened for Fox Sports is that now they're going to have to be able to cover all 32 teams uh, equally and, and, and kind of a, a unbalanced, which we know is not going to be that way, especially with Mexico in there and the some interest. But at the same time, you know, I mean, it's um, – I don't know. I, I, I'm, and actually the timing of the vote with Morocco and North America on June 13th it really is going to overshadow probably the first week of this tournament where everything's going to be talking about that. If Morocco wins, it's going to be talking about the, you mean the travesty, the, what, the corruption. Go- the of corruption. FIFA because anyone, anyone who votes against the U S is corrupt. And if you want to show your, your, you have a lot of integrity and you're transparent and you're not corrupt, you vote for the U S whose entire right. campaign is based around how much money we can make you. Nothing else. So, this is such a paradox. Such a and, and if and if, Nor- if North America wins the vote, then it's going to be about all, all the great things that Major League Soccer has been doing, and Don Garber and Sunil Galati, and we need to kind of uh, bow down in front of them because they, they've really, you I mean, 
developed this game and helped us get reach this point where you I mean they put in a great bid, they worked really hard, and Carlos Cordero and everything is is bright and rosy. There's no middle ground. <laughs> the middle ground would be the, the kind of the Craig Burleys, the Janusz Mahalik's of the world, or some other analyst would say, you know, I mean, yes, we won or we lost, but but we need to kind of take a pause here. And look at the system. The system is broken from from the bottom to the top. What do we need to do to, to, to fix this? Um, it's going to be fascinating to see you know, what Jan, happens. Janusz has forty plus caps for the U.S. men's national team. Yet, for whatever reason, he's not American enough to get hired by Fox. I, I mean, I, again, I, I just I don't get it. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, so to me. I mean, hopefully, that's the thing. I, I want I want to just watch the World Cup. I want to enjoy the World Cup. In previous tournaments, I was blown away by how good ESPN's coverage was. Their analysis, their nightly show that they had on the sets, and you had Twelman, you had Lalas, who was in his prime. You I mean you had uh, Balak, you had Roberto Martinez, you had uh, Craig Burley. You, you had a whole ton of fantastic, intelligent people discussing the sport, disagreeing about certain things. But it was like, it's, for some of the games, the the nightly show, the analysis show, was better than some of the games. Yeah, uh, I I don't think we're going to get that Kartik. We've got the nightly show with Fernando Fiore. It's not. It's going to be, I think, evening show or late afternoon show. Um, I just have really low expectations for for not just for that show, but overall. Oh um, gosh! But thankfully, you have Telemundo, and if you want to watch the the, the right. tournament in Spanish, uh, Telemundo is doing a, a knockoff job, uh, an unprecedented level of production for for, for that company. Uh, for, is obviously a division of NBC Universal uh, in their coverage of the World Cup, and, and I'd encourage people if you're if you're uh, unhappy with Fox, you don't don't want to listen to these conversations. Uh, look, I, I mean, we, we have to critique what goes on on Fox, but for others who are watching, you can hit the mute button, or you can turn to Telemundo, or you can somehow consume the World Cup in another way. But uh, I, I don't think the people who are core soccer fans are going to be happy with their coverage. Now, maybe they're right, and they bring in all these casuals who um, who then uh, uh, create a new base for soccer fandom in this country beginning in the summer of 2018. They, they, they have the last laugh, but, but my guess is that won't happen. Yeah, I think there will be casuals that will come in, not in the numbers that we've had in previous uh, World Cups. Um, and, and, and actually, the, the marketing point of view from uh, from Fox and Major League Soccer is smart, is to have a, a major World Cup game, and then right after it, have a uh, MLS game. I mean, you would think that they would be able to convert some fans over that way and get people that have never seen Major League Soccer before to go to watch it and go, hey, this is, this is pretty good. I, I can enjoy, I enjoy this. Strategy. Yeah. And I, and I think MLS, um, MLS, the level of play at MLS is good enough now. It, again, it's very random. You don't know what kind of game you're going to get. But particularly, you mentioned Atlanta playing after the World Cup final. The level of play is high enough in MLS. They might gain some of those fans if they stay and watch the games. The games might be better than the World Cup games. A lot of games in the World Cup are, are not good because, particularly in the group stage, when your teams are playing defensively and, and, and trying to get draws and, and trying to just get out of the group with four points. But um, uh, still, that doesn't justify the conversation, macro conversations about U.S. soccer that people associated with Fox seem to be having or the direction they're taking those conversations, which, um, again, is based, I will say it one last time, based out of insecurity, paranoia, and insularity. Three, three concepts there. 
Well, listeners, well, if you do have any uh, feedback on this uh, discussion, uh, if you disagree with us or agree with us or, or want to share your view- viewpoints, definitely let us know. Uh, we mentioned uh, the contact information just uh, about uh, 10 or 15 minutes ago, but definitely hit us up. We definitely want to get your feedback on this one because uh, it's an interesting topic and uh, hopefully we can enjoy the World Cup. Uh, one additional thing to add to that, Kartik, before we go is that um, – so I'm writing some articles. So yes, you can watch the uh, the World Cup in English on Fox. You can watch it in Spanish on Telemundo. Uh, there is going to be a, a no commentary feed. So if you just want to listen to or watch the World Cup games and listen to the crowd noise and not have a commentary, uh, that will be available as well as also in, in Portuguese and in French and, and, and other languages too for for our um, foreign listeners too. So so definitely check out willsoccertalk.com. We've got uh, really detailed uh, FAQs, coverage, schedules, you name it. We've got everything there. We've uh, focused 100% of our time on trying to make sure that we get all the details uh, from the different broadcasters and streaming companies and putting that on the website to be to be kind of a place to go to, the, the, the first go-to place for that details. All right, Kartik. So uh, if listeners want to uh, check out your uh, debate with Alexi Lalas, the back and forth between that, or, or want to get your viewpoints on, on different things, um, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, my tw- Twitter is KKFLA737. All right. And you can hit me up at World Soccer Talk. Thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, uh, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, AudioBoom, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. And Kartik, getting ready for the World Cup. What should they do? Enjoy your football. <laughs>